Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Game Table! Welcome to another Game Table. I, as always, am Seamus Byrne. Uh, and with me this evening... Is Nathan Cox? How are you? I'm well, famous. How are you? I'm I'm actually doing well. I mean, in this weird, weird 2020, that I wish we could just reboot it and start all over again. But yeah, it's uh, getting progressively weirder. It is, and like <laughs> I've already had conversations with other people where we're like, remember those naive summer days just a few weeks ago when we were thinking that. You know, th- these other things were going to be the troubles of the world come mid-March, <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Thankfully, we have games that we can we talk about games. and that really can make life a little bit nicer. It's something I've genuinely kind of noticed in conversations and just even kind of watching people online, but actually a lot of family and friends sort of people who aren't really gamers are the first ones that I am seeing like not in any kind of sarcastic way, they are genuinely feeling anxious about if I'm going to be stuck at home, what am I going to do with, you know, to stay sane? And it's yep. that nice thing of feeling like this is the moment for geeks to step forward and say, we have answers for you. Welcome. <laughs> We're going to open your mind to a world of entertainment that you've never explored before. <laughs> it's so true though. Like um, it's, it's, sort of boggle the mind i keep forgetting that a lot of people have these uh hobbies that are so reliant on other people's involvement um <laughs> and uh it, yeah when they like, what am i going to do when i'm stuck inside for weeks on end and i'm like this is like the life yeah, i know <laughs> i don't understand why you're struggling with this but yeah there's a lot of people i guess who have uh you know, don't entertain them or don't know how to entertain themselves. And yeah, I think, um, you know, games are a great way of doing that. Yeah. And look, I think, I mean, one of the things though that did strike me was that feeling that, uh, you know, video games are incredibly well placed in this moment because you mm-hmm. can still be in the company of your friends in an online sort of mode inside a, a virtual universe, blowing people's heads off and, you know, having a good laugh about it. Uh, totally. as, as everybody does in those sorts of games, I believe. Yes. Um, but yeah, I think like one of the reasons that I, you know, started this particular show was about that fact that it's so much nice, or like all has their place, but it is something very, very special when you get to play a game around a table together. And here we are in this moment where we're being told, you know, you probably shouldn't pop around your mate's place right now. Exactly. Um, we should be all just trying to do a little bit. Or, you know, if <laughs> I'm, look, there's some amazing board games where I'm sure you can stay six feet apart and just rotate around <laughs> your dining table 
giving each other space to, to go about your business. True. Uh, but, I, yeah, this evening I thought a bit of a general chat about the kinds of things that are possible, um, whether that is sort of digital modes of games or even just kind of how you can hack together your own way of, of playing something through a video kind of link up or whatever it might be, um, exploring a few of these things. But I think the most obvious thing and a thing you are absolutely an aficionado of <laughs> is solo games, both I guess the entirely dedicated solo games and then the games that can be played solo that people might not have thought about um, approaching in that way either. And I think we have touched on a little bit of this show in the past, but it is Mm. so pertinent right now in this world to think, okay, I don't just want to stare at screens all the time. I do want to kind of mess around with other kinds of fun things to do inside. And this, this is just another great way to do that sort of thing. Yeah, it was interesting. I, um, and, and not bagging out the article here, but an article went up on Kotaku today uh, talking about, uh, oh, look, we're all quarantined, so here's some board games we can play. And it's like, wow, you're you're assuming that everybody's quarantined with other people, like family yeah. members and whatnot. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of people who live alone um, who don't have that option. And uh, I always thought, I thought a, sol- a list of good solo board games would be much more appropriate. Um, but, yeah, there's so much. There are so many good solo games out there. And, um, like, as you sort of alluded to, there are – Games that have been made to be played solo—that is their, their their you know only form and function. But there's also a lot of games that I think a lot of people would have in their um in their collections that they may have typically played only with groups that actually do have a solo mode, um or at least can be played solo even if it's not an officially uh, I guess supported player count. Um, the probably the best example of that would be any um any form of uh, cooperative game that has one hundred percent open information that can totally be played solo. Yeah, of course. Yep. You just for play as more people, and you're the one who's making the decisions for every single role. Um, and some of my favourite solo games are I played like that, like um Robins, uh, yeah, Robinson Crusoe, Escape from Adventures on the Cursed Island. Uh, from Portal Games is um, a just a magnificent cooperative game that everybody should own if they like cooperative games. It's brilliant. It's extremely hard, but it's brilliant. Um, but yeah, that's a wonderful game to play as a solo, and it actually has does have a single player uh, version of it where it uh, changes a couple of minor rules and gives you sort of a half player to join your team in the yeah, form right. of um, Man Friday, but. You could look at that, and that's a perfectly fine way to play, and it takes some of the, I guess, the bookkeeping complexity out of running multiple characters, but you can also just run multiple characters. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's nothing stopping you from doing that. Um, so I think, yeah, like, have a, have a look through your collections, and if you've got a co-op game where there is no hidden information, then there's a very, very, very good chance that you can play that game um, solo. And I mean, I feel like I might finally win a game of Pandemic if I do that on the basis that... Uh, <laughs> it, it is easier to win solo, I'll agree. <laughs> and, you know, not trying to convince some other idiot at the table to do what I want them to do. <laughs> so it's so like one of my uh, board games I'm sure I've mentioned on here in the past is a, a game called Kingdom Death Monster, which is this incredibly sort of boutique, um, ludicrous board game. Um, and my favourite way to play it, I actually much prefer, it is a cooperative game, um, but I much prefer playing it solo than anything yeah. else. Then I'm the one who's got sole discretion over how <laughs> my society advances and what risks I'm prepared to take and whatnot. 
Um, I can sometimes get a bit selfish in my in my cooperative gaming where it's just like, no, why don't you just do it my way? Which is usually the wrong way anyway and results in everybody dying. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but at least you can own that death and not just have to blame everybody else. Exactly right. Exactly right. Um, and just on the subject of co-op games, I, I, if there's anybody out there who ever um, was into, uh, you know, Magic the Gathering or any other form of TCG, the way I used to love entertaining myself on um, family holidays was I'd take up my, back when I was into Magic, which was right when it sort of started off, I uh, was taking my cards along and I would construct um, construct decks and then just sort of play out, you know, the first 10 cards um, and tweak and, you know, try and make these decks as perfect as I could, but without knowing yeah. if they were any good because I never actually got to <laughs> play them against anyone. But I used to really love that task and the the realm of the, um, you know, deck construction living card games that's been introduced through games like The Lord of the Rings, the adventure card game, um, incidentally, which just got a, or relatively recently got a um, release on Steam. Um, or, um, the really, the real hot one at the moment is, um, uh, oh God, the Arkham Horror card game. Um, these are like, if you enjoyed that deck construction aspect of Magic the Gathering, you just make decks, uh, but sort of lamented the fact that until you could find somebody to play against, you, you never actually got to try to deck out. These games are the perfect panacea for that because you spend your time constructing your deck and you do a few sample yeah. plays with it and then you, play your deck against the game because they're a cooperative game, not a competitive trading card yeah, game. Yeah, cool. So, yeah, you'll just play as two. You make two decks or more if you're insane um, <laughs> and play them against the campaign and see how they go. So it, it sort of solved that, uh, that, that missing – it was that missing puzzle piece that I had as a kid, which was I've made my deck, now what? And now it's like, oh, I've made my deck. Now I can actually play it against the campaign and see how good it is and if I – die go and tweak again and try once more um really really fun way of playing so yeah if you were ever one of the people who used to enjoy doing uh that with magic probably have a look at those games as well it's a great way to while away the hours not just playing the game but getting yourself prepared to play the game yeah. but not in a boring way like but in a constructive way i actually really like that because i think quite often i get stuck in my own head when it comes to the theory craft crafting of deck construction mm-hmm I like that idea of it being a much more kind of practical, I'm just going to build it, shuffle it, and see how those first few hands would have played out. And yep. and that would give you a good feel because, you know, I mean, in the end, if you cannot get a start in some of those games, like you did. So yeah, totally. trying to test that reliability of shuffle, deal, first few hands is, you know, even against zero opponent is like, are there options appearing quickly enough yes. for this to ever succeed in the first place? Yeah. So I really like that idea. I mean, and then it reminds me of, um, you know, just the pleasure of creating characters for role-playing games. Oh, totally. It's like, again, just, you know, I mean, a totally sort of tangent, but it is one of those kind of lovely things of just exploring kind of the options. But it's like instead of just reading the books, it's taking that step to go, okay, what if I wanted to make a level 10 rogue? Uh, mm. What kind of a vibe do I want? What kind of, you know, like, and then you're sort of diving into that idea of, you know, I mean, on paper, you're basically going to sit there and min max for a while just for the sake totally. of the fun of it. But that is such a great thing too. And 
then a kind of little extra extension of that is with the D&D Beyond tools, um, they now have a random character generator. So you can literally just press a button, you know, set the level, but- press a button, and it'll just create like totally randomized character. Um, but on the official Dungeons & Dragons podcast uh, called Dragon Talk, they now and then will do a segment where they hit that random button and then just think of the story of like the backstory for this mm-hmm, character mm-hmm. being, you know, whatever weird race and then looking at its stats thinking like, okay, so why did this person decide to be a bard if these stats are horrible? And, you know, and instead of being like, well, that's a crap character, it's like, no, let's build the story of yeah. this weird thing that we will now get excited about playing because it's got a cool story attached to it. <laughs> Totally. That was always something I felt, um, uh, you know, a lot of role players missed out on when they went for that min-max strategy. Like, it, <laughs> yeah. it was sometimes a lot of fun to play badly designed characters because they were interesting. They had different personalities and, you know, you had to, you had to make these wonderful backstories for, for why your dexterity free character is a, is a rogue. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's like, all right, at some point, maybe he'll multi-class, but... Right now, he thinks this is the right path. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, he came from a a, a roguing family, and <laughs> yes. he, he would he would hate to disappoint his mother, who uh, was the head of the local thieves. Then, yeah, he'll come <laughs> good one day. I promise. You know, <laughs> but they, and you know, embracing the the bad role as well. Like that's yeah, totally mm. the kind of thing where you're like this will create the fun moment in the game. I think my kids even got that experience at our local store. Shout out to Cell Block. Um, but, yeah, when we play up there, the very first night we went up there to play, uh, there was someone at the table who, you know, tried to, like, swim under a grate and, you know, get through this to the, you know, to this other area. And, like, they rolled a one, and so it was like they basically got concussed and trapped underneath the the grating. And my daughter was a water genasi, and when I was able to be like, I'm, I'm going to create, like, an air bubble in the water around their head while we help release them. And, you know, suddenly she's, like, this epic hero of the moment. But yeah. everyone's just laughing because of this person's stupidity of, you know, just they didn't test anything. They just decided, I'm diving. I'm dying. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that Love is it. where the joy is, not necessarily oh, in perfection. 100%. It's, yeah, it's not a video game. It's not a set of systems to be beaten. Yeah. And now one of the things that you mentioned earlier before we came on the the air, is it air on the digital wires? On the, yes, on, um, on the etherwebs. Yeah, was a recent Kickstarter where they were trying to help people actually set up uh, I yeah. guess some kind of a system to be able to link up remotely to play an actual board game? Yeah, so it's a, it was a system called Vorpal. Um, I know um, one woman, uh, Ella Loves Board Games, if you know the YouTube channel, but um, she backed this. It's a really interesting um, system. I don't quite get it. Um, I've got to be honest. Like yeah. I remember <laughs> when it came out and I'm like, that's a really cool concept. It is a um, service. Um, so you do have it to subscribe and the right. actual costs weren't insignificant. Um, yeah, 75 to sort of 75 US to get the system, but then you'd be charged a monthly subscription or you could pay 225 US for a lifetime subscription. I always just get a little bit I don't know, wary of Kickstarters that are reliant on, 
life past the product launch. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, yeah, that said, like, it, it, it looks cool. As I said, I don't quite get how it works, but if it works anything like they're sort of suggesting, I mean, it's a really awesome idea and it's, a, it's basically a um, you use a tablet or a computer, uh, you have a mounting arm that you put your smartphone in to use as a camera looking at the board. That feeds the video. People log into a server and they effectively use this software app to say, you know, hey, you move my piece to there. And then there's this cool other thing, which is a um, a, a box. So for anything where there is hidden information, um, like you drawing from a card deck, yeah. the host can draw the card out, put it in the box and flip it up so the camera can see it. But And that gets beamed to one specific player. Yeah, As right. I said, I don't quite get it, but it's trying it, – it's, it's – you know, it's very ambitious. Yeah. <laughs> I won't lie. But uh, if it, yeah, if it works, um, that's a really great idea. Because one of the joys of board games is the tangible aspect of it. So I spend so much time painting miniatures. It's this feel of having lovely physical things that you move around to yeah. play. Um, for, for me, is a, you know, particularly somebody who plays a lot of solo board games, people are like, well, why would you do that instead of playing video games? And, yeah, theoretically, video games, because you can, you know, program logic and AI and all that sort of thing, there's a lot you can do with that sort of integration with digital. Um, but, uh, yeah, for why I wouldn't play a video game? Well, I typically will play a solo board game because I want to touch things. I want to move yeah. my little bits and pieces around. I, I think it's cool. It's like the so, yeah, Vorpal's feeling, the, exactly, yeah. Now, of course, obviously the big downside for Vorpal is that you're only going to get that tactile feeling if you're the game host. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then you'll be feeling everybody's pieces. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a cool idea. Um, and yeah, I hope, I hope it succeeds. Um, as I said, I, don't, I personally didn't have enough understanding of it to have the kind of faith to put money down on it. <laughs> yeah. And look, end of the day, um, I'm probably more likely to bust out a solo game. If I want to go out and meet up with people, I will go out and meet up with people, I guess. Yeah. But, uh, but that's me. Um, but it's not the only one you can play board games, um, with other people. Like this, uh, this is a good example of the, I guess, moving into the realms of the digital side of things. And this is trying to, you know, be a match between the physical, like, you know, I guess a meeting place between the physical and the digital. Um, but then you go to, um, there's two programs in particular, Tabletopia and uh, Tabletop Simulator, uh, which are digital um, environments in which to play board games. So unlike, um, you know, like a board game software app, um, the UI here is actually the table. Um, yeah, and it's right. a way of digitally uh, engaging with, um, you know, physical components that are represented in digital form. And I've not played Tabletopia. That one's a subscription service and, it, you know, it's quite good. Um, but I have played around with Tabletop Simulator and while it takes a bit of getting used to, it's a, it's an interesting thing. Like you're actually rolling dice, um, but just in, you know, in a digital yeah, format. Right. Yeah. And, yeah, people are constantly making... Um, you know, games, like translation of physical games into 3D format, um, which is a bit questionable from a legality standpoint. Yeah, I was there wondering if it has like a licensing system for any particular games or whether it is just people sort of cludging games. Yeah, so there are some, there's some official content. So there's a, um, a Kickstarter I backed um, late last year called Madara, um, which has already released, and this is the second print run, and I didn't get in on the first. Oh, yeah, I remember you mentioned um, that one, yeah. 
Yeah, and they have just released or are about to just release their tabletop simulator plugin cool. for their game. So there are developers out there, like game board game publishers and the like, who are actually saying, "Hey, here's the officially developed." you know, thing to plug into tabletop sim. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, there's also a lot of stuff where people have just made stuff without any legal <laughs> right or whatever. And I think tabletop sim gets away with it because they are a – they're just a – it's a, just a, a 3D space. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, Is there which a, has like own, a VR mode for it? The, it's, I was just about to comment because the <laughs> VR – the initial implementation of VR was quite, kind of hilarious. Um, and that was that um, – and the VR mode works quite well. You – you know, look around the table and yep. you use your wands to move things. Um, but there was some uh, issues with uh, people playing games like Uno um, where people who were playing in the VR mode, because you don't need to connect to other VR players, you can just connect to anybody. Oh, yep. Um, and uh, the people who were playing VR had a slight advantage in that they, people learned they could stick their head <laughs> inside the upcoming <laughs> card deck and then look up at the roof and then just slowly move their head through the decks to see what cards were there and the order they were coming out. I thought that was brilliant. Oh, like, yeah, that is that is beautiful. <laughs> Absolute <laughs> genius. It's one thing to tell, yeah, try to teach our kids how to, like, protect their cards when they're holding a hand of cards. Yep. When someone's able to look through the cards. <laughs> yeah, it makes life a bit tricky. Um, but, yeah, so there's some two cool apps. Um, I should also mention, um, you know, in these trying isolation times, um, two websites, um, Vassal, which is a very, very famous tool for playing predominantly a lot of war games, but other board games are present on there, and Board Game Arena. Um, board Game Arena? I think that's what it's called. Um, I will just check now. But yeah. both of those are web-based platforms uh, for playing board games, and those ones do have, yeah, Board Game Arena, those ones have modules that are licensed for them. Um yep. Vassal has been around for an absolute dog's age, and so there's always games being, um, you know, particularly GMT, which is a historical war game, um, typically historical war games uh, publisher, um, uh, do a lot of really good Vassal support, and I think most of their designers actually do a lot of the design in Vassal. Um, Yeah, wow. Yeah. And so how's that spelled? V-A-S-A-L? V-A-S-S-A-L. Double S, yep. Yeah. Awesome. And, I think. And so, again, is that entirely virtualized as like just within a browser rather than within a. Yeah, so the, those ones, yeah, it's a little bit different in that the Vassal, um, Vassal and uh, Board Game Arena, they are web interfaces for board games. So these yeah. actually move a lot more closely to what your typical understanding of a board game app would be. Yep. Um, except they're not using any 3D graphics. And, yeah. Some of the designs aren't great, but for the most part, they're pretty good. But, you know, don't go in there expecting the kind of, you know, high-end 3D graphics you're going to see in a Tabletopia <laughs> or a Tabletop Simulator. But these websites have been around for ages, have huge communities. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's another great way to – it's not going to help you if you don't know how to play the games. Um, that's very true. <laughs> yeah, there's no tutorials or anything like that. Uh but if there is a game that you love that you rarely get a chance to play, so a good example for me is a game called uh, uh, oh, Tashkalar, almost forgot its name there for a second, um, which is a weird chess type thing. Um, I was able to get a few games going on Board Game Arena and I hadn't played that game in years because I find it very hard to get people to play it. Yeah, cool. um, 
and it was awesome. And then I got my ass absolutely handed to me. I realized, holy shit, I am so bad at this game compared to people who play it a lot. Um, I mean, yeah, it even just came up actually during chat earlier because, again, with kids and there's all the discussions at the moment of when they might, uh, you know, go to online learning and then not be Mm -hmm. going into class. Um, Discussion came up on the fact that, you know, the school chess club could potentially keep running because they could just use an online tool. I mean, super easy. There's a million chess sites out there. So many, so many. Um, Yeah, 100%. But yeah, I, I really like that something like Board Game Arena even exists, though, so that you can, because that's it, it's going to be so much harder to find niche equivalent kind of opportunities to just find someone to play against when yep. you know, you've know you tried to convince every other person in your neighborhood to learn this really tricky game with you and they're not interested. Exactly. And particularly for some of the more complex games where, um, you know, to get the most out of it, it needs to have been played. Like both players need to know the game very yeah. intimately. Um, and the perfect example, and Vassal um, has a module for this game. Um, and there is also just a straight up iOS, I think maybe Android and Steam version, which is excellent. And I highly recommend getting that rather than playing through Vassal. Um, but it's a game called uh, Twilight Struggle, um, which is essentially uh, it's from that uh, historical war game company I mentioned before, GMT. Yep. Uh, sat at the top of board game geeks in the very top position for God knows how many years. Yeah, see, I'd um, heard that that was on the – like I remember that sort of from the board game geek charts, but I hadn't realised that they'd put out a um, a digital version. So I, I would yeah, they have. check that out. So they've, it'd been up on Vassal for ages, but a uh, year before last or maybe even the year before that, um, Playdeck, who's a – excellent software development company who focus specifically on uh video game adaptations of board games um yeah they've did an absolutely marvelous uh adaptation of um twilight struggle but this is one of those games that like when you're teaching somebody twilight struggle you say like the first game you got you're always going to be playing against somebody who knows how the game is played yeah because it's the only way to teach them and it's just a two-player game um you will lose your first game It's as simple as that. There is no way. There is absolutely 100%. It is impossible for you to win your first game of Twilight Struggle (laughs) if your opponent is the one teaching you. And that's great. Um, But, but yeah, yeah, like it also almost speaks to the fact that you're like, this is a skill game, not a luck game. (laughs) Totally. Um, But because of that, this is where the digital thing becomes so great. I don't own a physical copy of Twilight Struggle. I will one day and... I know that I'm going to buy it knowing full well it will never get used. Yeah. Um, I just think the game, I, I respect the game so much, yeah. it should be in my collection. But I play it all the time against the AI, against other players on Steam. And if you're like, I'm not great at Twilight Struggle by a stretch of the imagination, but it means that I know I can go online and I don't have to teach someone. I can play against somebody who is going to be skilled and give me the kind of fun time that. I would, I'm not able to do that without that sort of digital integration. So yeah. I suspect that the um, channels for uh, the, ga- the the playing of these extremely popular games um, will be absolutely packed to the rafters. You're not going to you're not yeah. going to have trouble finding a an opponent over the next uh, month or two. I would say. Yeah. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And it also yeah, reminds me, always a great trick when you find a game like that through um, particularly like the iOS type app ecosystems. It's like click mm-hmm. the dev and then go find the other stuff they've been making. Because as you say, if like, if this is by a company that's really good at translating board games to digital environments, then there's probably going to be that nice thing where, yeah, you click the developer link in the, you know, the info about the game mm-hmm. and you'll find a whole bunch of the other stuff that they've made as well. Totally. And Playdeck, um, the only reason you wouldn't buy a Playdeck game is because the board game you don't like. <laughs> yeah. <They're>, like <laughs> it's, it's as simple as that. They're adaptations, everything from really simple um, spatial type stuff like um, Castles of Mad King Ludwig and um, uh, Patchwork, um, which are all, you know, very... I guess piece dependent. They're about interlocking pieces and all that sort of thing. Yeah, Beautiful right. adaptation into the digital space. Yeah, Playdeck is such a safe bet for a um, software company. It's not funny. Yeah. Um, and what's the other? Oh, yeah. Uh, on the RPG side of things, I think in <clears throat> probably in a similar domain, uh, the likes of like Roll Twenty and Fantasy Grounds are actually um, really great ways to be able to get a game up where everybody just is going to link up. Uh, remotely through sort of yeah cameras or just audio connection um, using that kind of shared virtual tabletop environment. I think Fantasy Grounds is like probably the most expensive, but also uh, the most accomplished in terms of you mm-hmm. know the just the fidelity of what's available, the you know the pieces on boards, um, and like they sell it all as kind of little you know add-on sets and things, so that you could. Yeah, if you know, okay, I'm going to run a campaign and we're going on a dungeon crawl and there's going to be a lot of goblinoids of various kinds, I'll buy the goblinoid pack and there I'll have their tokens to drop down on the maps that I've drawn in the game. Or you could even go, oh, actually, I'm just going to buy, you know, I'll just buy a couple of off-the-shelf maps. Uh, And I think these days Fantasy Grounds, like, supports everything from, you know, Pathfinder to D&D to, like, lots of different um rule systems for lots of different kind of weird quirky rpgs uh and you can even buy the kind of the modules fully integrated into the game so that you will then get like the you know maps relevant to key sequences then mm-hmm. all of the key uh, encounter details are going to be built into it so that you don't have to do the bookkeeping side of it if you've bought the book through fantasy grounds as well like so they've kind of gone to that extreme level of trying to make it as easy as possible to feel like you're sitting around a table together and you didn't have to do a million hours of prep but you and your mates can you know say yes we are meeting on friday at 8 30 and we are going to play that game like we used to when we lived near each other mm-hmm. um and yeah again that's like even more so uh right at this moment in time that's really cool. Having a look at their website now, that's very funky. Mm. And then I think, you know, Roll20 is one where it's more of a subscription sort of thing, but, you know, much more sort of, you know, much more casually affordable. Uh, mm-hmm. And I know heaps of like D&D groups use that one in a big way. Um, uh, I like haven't looked at the details of that one so much because uh, I do have access to Fantasy Grounds, but 
Um, yeah, it's it's definitely I know really big. Whereas I think D and D Beyond has kind of been heading towards that idea of yeah. eventually adding in um, some of that virtual tabletop, but it's not on their short term roadmap. They've really focused on just giving you a great character sheet experience mm. um, and giving you like a good book reading experience in a digital format and making sure that all of the rules integrate comfortably you know into things but they've started to they've just like launched um an alpha of their encounter builder so that you can sort of you know quickly put together a bunch of monsters into an encounter and it'll help do calculations and all that kind of stuff so they're sort of oh, wow. slowly heading down that road but i think D beyond's focus has just been on selling you digital copies of the books that mm. feel as good as possible and then making sure that any of the books you own directly integrate into your character sheet uh, options uh, yep. yeah, that you would then just have on your iPad or something in front of you. And one of the kind of nice parts of how D&D Beyond has set itself up is that because, of course, there's, you know, I, and it's a totally justifiable argument when it's like, I already own the physical book. Why should I buy the digital book? All that jazz. It's mm. totally fair. But one of the nice things that they have is a system where if you're the person who's running a campaign, um, or clearly, you know, within a group, if you're the person who owns the books, you could say you're the person running the campaign. Yeah. But you can have, I think it's up to five campaigns where you share the access to the books you own with the that's other good. people in the campaign. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, that's then the way that everybody can then create their characters with access to all the books. As the person managing the campaign, like you can flip the switches on which books are and aren't legal when someone's making mm-hmm. their character, um, you know, so that you don't have to necessarily go, no, I don't want you playing an Eberron character in Forgotten Realms. <laughs> I don't want artifices in my game, damn you. Um, so, you know, all those kinds of things, the the flipping the switches is, makes it really easy to just say, yes, mm. go for it with those books and, you know, and then we'll see you at the table. So, yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. Um, it did make when, when you started talking about these things. It did make me think of, and it never took off, which is a real shame. But remember the dungeon master mode of Neverwinter Nights? Yes, oh such my a God. genius idea um, that I never actually got to play a proper campaign using it. Um, but that was that was such a great idea. Is like, well, yeah. why don't we give a dungeon master the ability to use this game as their virtual role playing space? Yeah. Um, but what it did end up lending itself to, and this actually, I don't think this was intended by the dev team, but surprised the hell out of me, um, and I spent a lot of time on these servers, people basically made just, I'm going to call them MOs, not MMOs. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. <laughs> um, like they, they weren't massively multiplayer, but yeah. they'd host maybe 20 to 30 people. Yeah. Um, and, and they just, yeah, basically... Using Neverwinter Nights just built these, um, you know, worlds full of adventures and ways to level up and quest, and they just built basically custom campaigns and made them vaguely, um, you know, yeah. uh, multiplayer. It was cool because, of course, like yeah, because in that sort of mode, it's like, well, I can, excuse me, I can move backwards and forwards through, you know, a couple of locations, and mm-hmm. therefore then encounter the people who are in those locations. Is there like? I, was there an audio system attached to it or was it just text-based? I feel like there might have been an audio link-up option. Yeah, I can't I quite remember. can't yeah. remember. Um, yeah, but I, I mean... You it, know, the, the tool set that they made available was great. I Like I interviewed um, David Gator recently for another mm-hmm. show and he, uh, you know, we were talking about the fact that, you know, with, because uh, he, you know, worked on Neverwinter, that, you know, that 
I remembered hearing that they would use it as a um, essentially as a like testing tool as part of someone applying for a job to become like a game designer or a game writer yeah, right. would be they'd go, go and write like a, you know, go and write a short quest using mm-hmm. the Neverwinter Nights engine. Um, and it was just, you know, it was like, it doesn't matter if someone has got any fundamental experience, if they can't cludge their way through this and just create some kind of an interesting story, then they probably just don't know how to create stories. So that was I, a really kind I of I hear they're doing this. I hear they're doing the same thing for chorus, but they're getting people to write songs using the Neverwinter engine. That was a terrible joke. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I think I'm, very, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited actually, about chorus. I, got, okay? so like, I was so gullible for a moment. I actually kind of thought, oh, I mean, how would they do that? <laughs> <laughs> That's why I paused. <laughs> then you have that moment of pausing and you go, oh, no, hang on. They wouldn't. That's yeah. stupid. <laughs> There's so many better tools now. If they're going to make... <laughs> and the people coming in might already have a song they've written. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, they might be able to demonstrate something. Actually, I want to I see the Mick Gordon uh, death metal song integrate into oh, geez i wouldn't be surprised if i'm always like you know stumbling across some awesome uh you know surprise feature that's going to appear in that game given that it's mm-hmm. it's kind of got a whole you know heaven and hell vibe thing going on oh you um, go completely nuts yeah did you say i don't know that you know there's uh an amazing clip given that you know that the new doom is coming out in a few days oh um, of the heavy metal uh chorus. choir yeah choir yeah, yeah. So good. Yeah, I was uh, – I am really, really, really excited for um, Doom Eternal and I've not been excited about a Doom game since Doom 3 yeah. um, and just anything in that sort of vague shot. But, I'm, yeah, I'm really, really keen for this game. And I saw that uh, trailer with the music. I'm like, oh, my God, that's phenomenal. <laughs> yeah. I had uh, Mick Gordon on a panel at PAX a few years ago. Um, it was a panel called uh, Can't – uh, can't code, can't draw. Um, <laughs> and it was a mixture of people who have other jobs in the games industry. Yep. Um, and yeah, he was so awesome. I'm desperately hoping to get a hold of him again off the back of Doom Eternal because he's such a fun guy. And yeah, just seeing some of that stuff was like, I love the creative opportunities that they're running with when it comes to going, well, how do we keep making Doom more epic? And how do I Mm -hmm. make the music more epic? I get together a giant choir of metal singers. Yeah, (laughs) it's it's awesome. That is a great idea. So to (laughs) to come back slightly on topic before we wrap Mm. up, have there been any good Doom adaptations? uh, Um, Yeah, (laughs) so funnily enough, um, one of the more... And this is really weirdly connected. Um, so I'm currently looking at the page for a game called Legacy of Dragonholt. Um, when you were talking about your sort of the RPG stuff, this is sort of like um, a cooperative RPG without oh, much. Yeah, it's right. kind of more like an adventure game, um, yeah, cool. adventure game book. That you play with a group of people. But Legacy of Dragonholt is part of the um, oh, what do they call it? The Teneroth, uh, Terranoth universe. Um, which was uh, there's a game called Descent that I'm sure many people will have heard of, yeah. a dungeon exploring game. Descent was based on the Doom board game, like the original Doom board game. Oh, <laughs> um, and uh, I think Fantasy Flight lost the rights, um, so they had to. Well, how can we take these mechanisms, this system that we've designed, 
um, and make and still do something with it. So they made the Terranoth universe, and um, yeah, uh, Rune, uh, not Runebound, um, Descent was born. Yeah. So that's that. I think I'm remembering that story correctly. I think it was Doom. Um, but yeah, so the Doom, the original Doom board game apparently was excellent. There was a recent remake recently, recent remake recently, um, that uh, I've not played, but apparently was quite good. Um, yeah, but yeah. there's also been a game that came out um, oh, by CGE, and I've now forgotten the name of it, uh, but it was an attempt to actually do first-person shooter as a board game. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, and had that arena shooter kind of feel, like oh, you're running around okay. picking out weapons yeah, yeah. and all that sort of thing. Uh, I can't remember the name of it. That's really annoying. But if you look up yeah, CGE, CGE FPS, that's game. actually yeah. <laughs> It's something like a line. Oh, I don't know. That's right. You can. Yeah. yeah we can stumble through this forever. We'll, we'll, Someone we'll might find. send us adrenaline. a message and go, "You adrenaline is that what it's called? Adrenaline. That's hey. the game." Um. So yeah. Uh. That that's uh, apparently quite a good uh game from the shooter perspective. But um. Yeah. Apparently the first Doom, excellent. Uh. But I can't attest to having played <laughs> yeah. any of those. <laughs> and you've also just made me think of one other thing worth touching on because mm. I think it is actually a really cool mental exercise, which is to play a competitive game against yourself. It can be yeah, a really so, kind of cool thing to, you know, like it's not going to get you through the entire coronavirus no. shutdown. But no. I, I, I know when I've done it, it's almost like an exercise in trying to focus on the idea of perfect play rather than mm-hmm. the idea of what do I know or don't know. And yep. I've quite often enjoyed watching, um, when I've watched some Hearthstone pros actually, um, they will do a breakdown of a game that they played uh, in a tournament yep. and they will often break down a game where they lost and sort of still go back through it and say, you know, I made no errors, so I have to be perfectly happy with what happened. Like I couldn't have known yep. this and I would never have tried to predict that that was a thing that was going to happen because the odds were low, you know, so it's almost that, yeah, that theory of thinking, how do I try to play in this position with what is in front of me and thinking what would be the best move regardless of what else happens in front of me. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, that's a, a very popular thing to do in the wargaming community. Oh, uh, yeah, right. Um, yeah, they're, really, they're really big. So um, I've mentioned the company a couple of times now, but a company called GMT Games um, who make these wargames uh, is their main bread and butter. They have branched out into some other games, but they're most known for wargames. Um, they have on all of their boxes this uh, cool little graph thing that measures um, complexity and solo ability. Yeah. Um, so even when a game is actually designed for two or more players, it still gets given a rating on its solo ability scale um, saying, yeah, look, it is made for two players, but it's actually pretty easy for you to run both opposing sides yeah. and play it solo that way. I've got to say, I don't like doing that myself. I like yeah. the I like the competition aspect. Um, so I tend to veer more in the direction of sort of AI style, like games where I'm playing against a board game AI, um, of which there are excellent ones out there. But if you do find yourself in that scenario where you're sitting there going, you know, I'm, guess a lot of us are being a bit tight with our cash at the moment, um, given everything that's going on. And the idea of going out and buying more board games just for the purpose of whiling away <laughs> the hours, um, have a look through your existing collection and go to Board Game Geek. Type in the name of your board game and the word solo variant. 
There are a heap yeah, of very nice. talented people out there that are making quite clever, fun, and enjoyable solo modes for their board games. Just adapting um, rules, yeah. Just yeah, exactly. But like they create, know the pieces you've got. They know the stuff that is in that box. Yeah. Yeah. So they're just doing, and often these fans are doing it just for their own entertainment. But they then put that news, that information up on BGG. Um, and some of those solo modes have become official. Um, oh, cool! Was, That's great. Yeah, uh, Root, which was a very popular um, game that came out last year, which is a variation on a, um, a type of wargaming that I play quite a bit solo, which is the Coin series, which I'm sure I've mentioned before. But somebody made a solo version of that game, um, put the ve- put the rules up on uh, BJG, and uh, yeah. Um, they developed it. I think it was Root. It may have been another game. I could be misremembering it, but they basically went, yeah, hey, this is this is really good. And then they took it in. Um, I don't know what arrangement made with the original creator. I'm assuming they got some form of uh, compensation. Um, but yeah, took it in, gave it a little bit of extra production polish um, and then released it as an official thing that you could buy as an add-on to play the solo mode. And yeah, it was inspired pretty much just straight from a BGG user. That's great. That is really, really great. And I mean, right, there are like there's so many, again, sort of over in the RPG world, there's like so much homebrew type stuff out there. Oh, right? totally. And it's kind of great to see that you can go and find some of this stuff for board games that you own as well. That's awesome. Yeah, and there's a lot of great um, solo RPGs that are getting made on Kickstarter. Um, I recently got my hands on one called The Thousand Year Old Vampire, which I believe was made by an Aussie. Um, I've yet to play it. It is a solo only RPG. Um, but it uh, looks pretty fun. Um, I've just, yeah, yet to actually get around to it. I think I heard um, Nick Healy was telling me that he, I think he bought, it might have been Call of Cthulhu, because uh, I think the new Call of Cthulhu has some solo play options in that as well. I mean, given that, you know, the nature of that oh, game the new, is entirely uh, just staying. Yeah, the new, no, the new uh, RPG release. Oh, okay, right, yeah, cool. because there is a new edition of Call of Cthulhu. Yes, um, so yeah, uh, and again, I think as he's been in that position of uh, living out in Dubbo on his own, and thinking, yes. <laughs> well, what else am I going to do at my night? I'm going to drink something while I scare myself silly with a game of Call of Cthulhu. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds a good plan. It's either they're going to be scared silly by the cat. Yeah, you know, that, that well, always, and that, the combination, of course, as uh, <laughs> you know, as bastard Cthulhu womps in on top of you, I'm sure that it's would a- be a thing. That is a terrifying monster. <laughs> Look, I think we could wrap it up there for the evening. I love learning. Actually, I've got so many things I'm going to look up myself now. I'm kind of realizing that there's this nice little uh, connection here where you know an awful lot about a bunch of stuff in board gaming proper that I don't, and I will feed you back some RPG stuff. Along exactly. The way. <laughs> it's, it's a good trade. <laughs> um, so tell people where they can find you and tell you that it's going to be okay um, via the internet. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Elprez, A-U-E-L-P-R-E-Z-A-U. Um, yeah, that's me. That's awesome. pretty much my main social hangout. I am at Seamus on Twitter. You can find all the bite side things via at Byteside on Twitter and at The Byteside on Instagram and then just back to Byteside on Facebook. Um, you can also email us via thegametable at biteside.com. Send us photos of your efforts to enjoy some board games while you're at home alone or alone with, you know, whoever else lives in your household, um, but being socially isolated together um, or just socially isolated with you and your pet. 
But no, <laughs> see, I've been railing against that phrase of social isolation. We might need to be physically isolated, but we don't have to be socially isolated. And it's important not to be too socially isolated. Exactly. Agreed. So thank you again and thank you listeners and we'll catch you again real soon. Bye, everyone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.